Thanks for joining us. Let's pray and we'll get started. Oh God, thank you for the opportunity to meet and gather again, Lord, and worship your name together. Uh, Lord, I pray that this morning you would be opening our eyes again to your glory uh, and just preparing our hearts to uh, know you more and, and uh, hear what you have to say to us today. And God, I just pray that our, our hearts would be encouraged um, to press into the lives that you've called us to, uh, that we would not retreat from what you are leading us into, God, but that we would step boldly forward um, by your strength and embrace uh, the life that you have for us. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're continuing our series in uh, 2 Corinthians called Resilient Church, and we're calling it that because the Corinthians knew what it was to struggle. Uh, And throughout this book, Paul is showing us how in the midst of our struggle, God is working in us a supernatural resilience that brings us back from, from every time we fall on our face and gives us the strength to keep going. A, a resilience that's beyond what we as humans can do ourselves, but instead carries us forward uh, to, to live the lives that he's called us to. So today we're looking at resilience in ministry uh, again, and, and specifically not losing heart in the face of the mission. Uh, so I remember when I was in college at U of M, uh, I remember the first couple years uh, that I came here, the first couple years I was at Mosaic, and I was falling in love with God all over again. Like, I'd been in the church growing up. I'd been a Christian. I'd read parts of the Bible here and there. But for the first time, I was reading the Bible cover to cover. And I was just soaking up Scripture and just learning. It was like God was more real to me than he had ever been. And I just realized how much of this was, was true for me. And so I'm falling in love with God. I'm reading books by C.S. Lewis and just uh, reading those and, and, and being like, wow, God, you're so great. I'm reading Psalm 139 and reading about how God has written in a book all of the days of my life before I was even born. And I'm just like, wow, God, you put this tree right there and not right there. Like this moment, everything that's going on, like you've crafted for me, uh, with me in mind, knowing, knowing the life that I'm going to have. And so it just was changing the way that I was seeing the world around me. And at the same time, one of the things that it was changing was the way that I saw the campus on which I was attending school, and, and the people that I was walking by. And as I had conversations with, with other students in my dorm, I realized how many people didn't know Jesus on that campus. Because I guess I had always assumed, maybe being in Christian community growing up, that most people, while a lot of people didn't, wouldn't consider themselves a Christian, most people had a general idea of the gospel and of what, what Christianity was about. But in talking with students, I realized this wasn't the case that a lot of people knew bits and pieces and had fragments, but the gospel, the main idea of Christianity, was entirely lost on them. And so this is, this is ripping me apart as I'm, I'm, on the one hand, falling in love with God and loving him so much, and on the other hand, just my heart is breaking over the, the hundreds of people that I'm passing every day who don't know him. And I'm feeling overwhelmed in the midst of that. Like, I don't have, at this point in my life, I don't have experience sharing the gospel in these first couple years of college, I haven't, I haven't really done that a lot. I haven't, um, I haven't studied theology or apologetics, and so I'd get into conversations with uh, friends of mine or, or uh, neighbors of mine in the dorms, and, and we would talk about Jesus, we'd talk about the gospel, and they'd inevitably raise some point, and I would just be, I would put my foot in my mouth. I, would, I wouldn't know what to say. I'd be, I'd be like, I don't, I don't know. Like the, the Bible is all made up. Like I haven't thought about that. I guess I can go study, now I can go learn about why we can trust the Bible and come back and continue that conversation. And so, but in the midst of all of that, I just, I felt helpless and, and just powerless to, to see this campus know God. 
And that's something that I think a lot of us struggle with, uh, just feeling powerless in the face of the mission. At that point, I, was, I felt like I was losing heart. And I was like, God, how am I, really, how, am I how is someone like me going to really be the person who comes and, and carries forward your, your word uh, and your name to the people around me? How can, how can I be used for this? And so as we're talking about resilience in ministry and not losing heart in the mission that God has called us to, we're talking about a, a powerlessness and a helplessness that we feel. And that's something I think all of us have felt, that the difficulty of that task, that a lot of us might feel too inexperienced to share the gospel, or maybe uh, just that we look at the brokenness in our own hearts and we say, who am I to be the, the, the ambassador of Christ to these people? I'm no better, right? And, and the gospel isn't about that. It's not about us being better. And still, we look at our own inadequacy and we can say, who am I to do this? What we're going to look at in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is verses 1 through 6. And in this part, what we're seeing is that Paul was, he was in danger of losing heart in the midst of, of the Corinthians, that uh, he, was sharing the, <laughs> he was sharing the gospel in Troas, we saw a couple weeks ago, and he walked away from this open door for the word uh, and because he had to go and he just had to see what was going on with the Corinthians, that they were this church that had been um, struggling a lot in their sin, struggling in rebellion against God's word and against the teaching that Paul was giving them. And so he had to know, but he was tempted and feeling that, that ever-present temptation in ministry to lose heart. And what we're going to see is he's going to show us, he's going to remind us that we don't lose heart, that Christians don't lose heart in the face of God's mission. Uh, and so he's going to start by reminding us that we don't lose heart and that he's going to show us three reasons why that is. And so the big idea we're going to see in all of that is that on our darkest days, the light of God's glory shines in us as a beacon of hope. On our darkest days, the light of God is in us, shining through us as a beacon of hope that he is strong where we are weak. So first, the reminder that we don't lose heart. Let's look at verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So again, not long before he wrote this, Paul was tempted to lose heart. The Corinthians were on his mind. He was feeling the weight and the struggle of ministry. He was seeing firsthand and experiencing firsthand what it is to pour your heart and your life into a task and see nothing back. And that's a lot of my college experience trying to share the gospel, is pouring my heart and my soul into it and feeling like I'm seeing no fruit. I remember uh, feeling like I was one of the only students left at Mosaic uh, from, from U of M, the only undergrad students, and, and I remember feeling, man, I just want to use my, my, the rest of my undergrad experience to, to bring more students to this church. And so I met Alex, and Alex and I, uh, one September, as things were ramping up, we took an all-nighter, and we went and we chalked. What chalking means at, on campus is you advertise for your student org or your organization, and so we ch- uh, different student orgs will do it for their churches. And so we went and we pulled an all-nighter right before students were going to move into their dorms, and we chalked all over campus in front of just about every dorm, advertising, say, hey, this is Mosaic, like, come to our evening service, come to our morning service, like, we want you to come be part of our church. And we covered so much ground, and other people from the church came and joined us for different legs, but he and I went from 8 a.m. until, like, 
4 a.m., and then I went to work at like 5 a.m. after that. And so it was, it was just a long day. And we were just worn out. And, and we saw a couple people come to church through that, but just not the return that you would typically hope for, for how much effort we put into it. And that's so much of what ministry is and what being a Christian is, is as we embrace the mission that God's called us to, at Mosaic we call it multiplying passionate pursuers of Jesus Christ who engage the world with his love. That mission of multiplying passionate pursuers of Jesus that's difficult. That's something that you can pour your life and your heart and your soul into and feel like you're getting nothing back. And so Paul's feeling that, and he's feeling the temptation to lose heart. And so then he says this. He says, But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. So what Paul's referencing here is something that he brought up back in chapter 2, which is uh, what he called peddlers of God's word, or basically teachers and preachers who would teach and preach primarily to, make, to, to get success and to make uh, a living for themselves. You could call them for-profit preachers. And so rather than um, holding highest the integrity of the gospel and the truth of Scripture and, and the reality of God's Word, what they would do is they would inevitably tell people what they wanted to hear. And they would end up twisting pieces of, of the Bible and, and trying to make Scripture be the sort of message that would affirm people in, in their current values. And so the values of the Corinthians, those would be the things that they would preach. And they would try to fit Scripture to that rather than calling the Corinthians, the more unpopular message of calling the Corinthians to repentance and to follow the God who is. Does that sound familiar? That's such a common temptation for ministries that they can, they can get more followers, they can get more people to come and, is, if they affirm people where they are rather than calling them to repentance. And so that's still an issue that we see today. Paul is saying that when the going gets tough and people aren't responding to the gospel in faith, or when Christians like those in Corinth are pushing back on the gospel message, he's saying we don't change the message. We don't twist God's word. We don't take those shortcuts in ministry and try to just give up. It's, it's a form of losing heart to try to just give up on the, the, the truth and the, the integrity of the mission that God has, called, God has called us to and to make that mission smaller or easier. We don't twist God's word. These would be examples of, of losing heart and taking those shortcuts. And that's always going to be a temptation for the church, not just for, for leadership in the church, but for all of the church. There's always a temptation, since we're all called to this mission of multiplying passionate pursuers of Jesus, there's, there's always going to be this temptation for us to take those shortcuts. Because that mission is, is difficult. It's this overwhelming thing. And so in the face of overwhelming darkness, we recoil from what we can't control. We see that the mission that God has called us to is beyond our power alone to complete. And so our tendency, rather than leaning into the power of God to complete that mission, is to reduce the mission, is to back away from that, and to say, instead, I'm just going to focus on this little thing right here. And those other greater, bigger problems, those other areas of darkness in the world where God isn't known, I'm just going to let someone else go there and deal with that, and, and, and they, can, they can be the one. Instead, I'm just going to focus here. And inevitably, what that leads to, which I'm sure we're all familiar with seeing, and maybe even doing ourselves, is these insulated, small, pocket Christian communities, these little bubbles that we kind of put ourselves in, where we stay away from the scope of God's mission that is overwhelming and just hard to think about and face. And instead, we focus on these, these sort of micro-missions that we can kind of control and say, hey, we saw one more person come to church, or hey, we baptized one person this year. And, and none of this is ever about numbers, but we, I think we all too easily just give up on the scope of God's mission and settle and satisfy our hearts with smaller goals and smaller tasks. 
Paul's saying that's not who we are. We don't take shortcuts in ministry. We follow God with a clear conscience. We, even if we sin, even if we fall, we confess that. We bring it into the light. We're not perfect, but we don't, we don't, rather than reducing the mission and reducing what God's called us to, we always strive to meet that by God's power. And when we fail, when we stumble, we do that in the light. And we confess that to each other and encourage each other to press on to, to the lives that God has called us to. And whatever we do, we don't lose heart. Even in the darkest places, the places that are most resistant to God, even in our darkest days, we don't lose heart. And so now Paul's going to show us three reasons why that is. So reason number one, the spiritual need around us is too great to ignore. He says in verse three, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So he says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So that word veiled, he's saying, um, clouded, difficult to understand. Basically, a, a, a criticism that some of the Corinthians were bringing against Paul was that his message was difficult to understand. Rather than dumbing down and simplifying God's word to just mean less than it did and, and meet the, the needs and the expectations of the, the desires and the expectations of the Corinthians, he was preaching the true unadulterated gospel, but some were finding that hard to understand. What Paul's saying here is that if you're a Christian, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, then you are able, no matter how hard it, is, it feels to understand God's word, you are able to understand his word and his intention for how you're to live this life. There's no part of God's will for you that he's revealed in scripture that you are unable to grasp and unable to comprehend if you put in the time and, and, and come together as a community to study it and to discern what does this mean for our lives. But he's saying instead, if it is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. And he elaborates on that by saying, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. So those who are perishing are those who don't know Jesus, those who don't have eternal life in Christ. And when he says the God of this world, he's talking about Satan, the ruler of this world system of sin and rebellion against God. That, that phrase is used for Satan in other places in Scripture too, the ruler of this world. And it's contrasted to uh, the, um, the God that he talks about later, the Christ, the image of God. And so what he's saying is that Satan is, is blinding the minds of unbelievers, clouding the minds of unbelievers from seeing the glory of God for who he is. And the, the image that Paul chooses to use here is blindness. And I don't, I don't want us to skip over that. So I want you to imagine what it's like to be blind. I'm guessing most of us have never experienced that. Imagine what is it like to be blind. Have you ever, have you ever imagined that? Like, as you guys, as a kid, like when you first learned about the concept of blindness, Whoever like tried closing their eyes and like walking around and seeing like how far they could get until they like poke somebody in the eye by accident, like that's 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 so much of what we do, right? We 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 want to try to imagine blindness, but at the end of the day, we just open our eyes. But when he's saying blindness, he's saying you don't you can't open your eyes. You're blind. You can't see that. A year ago, I was in the middle of a shower, and then all of a sudden it occurred to me, what if God took away my sight? I don't know why, but it just, it just came to me then. What if God took away my sight? Like this, that, that, would be, that would be crazy, right? And then I was like, you know, that's not likely to happen. Like statistically speaking, like there's no really reason. Like I don't think that's going to happen. And I thought, but what if he did? What if God, what if God took away my sight? And then, and then I really started to think about this. And then I started to get mad. I was like, God, don't do this. Don't take away my sight. Why would you do that? 
And it's kind of like, you know, when you wake up from a dream and someone does something, right, you know, and, and it didn't actually happen, but they did something bad towards you or whatever, and you wake up and you're mad at them, and you can't forgive them somehow because you just, you still want to be mad, like you're just not ready, even though it didn't happen. Like, that, that was me in that moment. I was like, God, don't do this. Like, why would, you, why would you take away my sight? And then maybe I think I started to worry that, like, by thinking about this and by thinking about the concept of being blind, that, like, I just... I just really didn't want that, that like somehow I was inviting upon myself this like test of faith where God was like going to make me blind so that I would learn to love him without sight. And I was like, no, stop, don't do this. And I just started to freak out. So anyway, that <laughs> blindness, it, it's, it's, it's not as bad as it used to be that there's, there's so much uh, more that our society has to, to accommodate that, right? But it's, it's still, you can't do everything that you can do with sight, that sight is a gift from God. And, and God's not going to, just because I think about it, he's not going to take away my gift of sight for, for that. It's a gift that he's given us, and it's, it's fine and good and normal to not want to lose that. But I think something that's particularly dangerous about being blind is that if you, well, it's, it's more if, if you're blind and you're trying to live as though you're not blind. And that's often what we do when we think about it, and that's often the way that those of us who've never experienced that and haven't had to get used to that that's how we think about it, is we think about how I could still live as much of my life as possible, but without the gift of sight. But that's dangerous, being blind and trying to live as though you're not. Because that's one of the first things you, you, would, you would do if you're trying to imagine that, is, is trying to imagine how I would live being blind. And so imagine with me if God struck the entire world with blindness, just suddenly in one moment. Imagine if he did that, and at the same time, everybody was insistent upon trying to live as though they weren't blind, to live, the, to live their lives as normal. What would that look like if you had a world full of people who couldn't see, but who were insistent on living as though they still could see? The first thing, place my mind goes is like plane crashes. Like that's like the scariest thing. Is like planes would just be crashing all over the place, crashing into each other. You'd have car accidents all over the place. The world would be on fire. It would be a mess. It, it just wouldn't work. You'd have people running into each other. All sorts of crazy things would happen. I think some sports, honestly, might be more interesting to watch, though, if everybody playing them was blind. It wouldn't matter because you couldn't watch them, but it would be more interesting. Like, think about it, like blindfolded football. Like, that'd be pretty interesting, I feel like. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the one sport I'm more afraid of than baseball is baseball, but everyone's blind. Like, that would just be horrifying. I would get hit in the head with the ball. It'd be awful. So... <laughs> That's the picture Paul's describing here, right? That the entire unbelieving world is blind to the glory of God. And yet, they're insistent on still living their lives as though they're not, right? And, and before anyone thinks about con- being condescending or judgmental from Christians or non-Christians, that was all of us, right? Amen? Like, we were all that. That's so, there's no room for any judgment here because we would be hypocrites to do so because we were all, at one point or another, blind to the glory of God, blind to who he is. And we were trying to live our lives anyway, even though we were blind to, to what God intended life for us to be. So think about, from God's perspective, the spiritual mess that we make when we try to live life as though we're not blind to him. Think about the spiritual plane crashes that you would be causing, or the spiritual car accidents. Think about the spiritual fires that would rage unchecked. That's the spiritual need of the world that we live in. There's no in-between. Either God opens our eyes to know him and to appreciate his glory, 
or we live as blind men and women, making a spiritual mess of our lives, unable to live the lives that God intended for us. Like we have a purpose for our life, to know God, to, to be with him, to love those around us, and yet we, we, we don't. We don't have that. Apart from Jesus, apart from God working in us, opening our eyes to see his glory, like we don't have that. And that's, that's something you might be, if, if you don't know Christ, you might, not, you, you might be blind to, to the glory of God and who he is, but you, you still can see the brokenness of the world. You might not agree with everything the Bible says about what sin is and what brokenness is, but you can see that the world is a broken place, that there's rampant hunger, that there's greed, that there's selfishness, that there's pride, that there's hatred, and it just is spread out all over the world, right? Those are just symptoms of the spiritual need of the world we have, of a world that is blind to the glory of God. And so, praise God that he's opened our eyes to know him, amen? That we can, that we can have a relationship with God, that we have the knowledge of the glory of Christ. And that's, that's not a gift of, of grace that we want to neglect, but we don't want to lose heart in the face of, of overwhelming darkness and just sit on that gift that he's given us, but we want to spread that and share that. We don't withdraw, we don't lose heart, we don't withdraw from the people God has placed in our lives and in our neighborhoods and live in, in pocket Christian communities. God is calling us to bring the knowledge of, of him to those who are blind to him. And so we do not lose heart Reason one, because the spiritual need around us is too great to ignore. Reason number two, we do not lose heart because our God has shown himself to us. Look at verse four again. Paul says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So here Paul's answering the question, what is Satan blinding the world to? What is Satan trying so hard to keep people from seeing? Paul says it's the gospel or the good news of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So if you're wondering just what God's like, he's, giving us, he's given us no clearer image than the person of Jesus Christ. Imagine Satan working so hard for thousands of years to prevent the world from seeing God, and then he just shows up. Like, how frustrating would that be? And he's, just, he's working so hard to, to keep us from seeing the obvious reality and glory of who God is. And yet that's just how broken we are, that we fall for that and that we allow our minds to be steered away from seeing and experiencing the love and glory and goodness of God. So here you have God, the eternal, all-powerful, infinitely wise, perfectly good, both merciful and just God, showing himself to the world in the person of Jesus. And what did the world see? We saw God humbling himself as a man, living as a servant of the world, and then out of his great love for a people who'd rejected him, giving his life and dying in our place for our sins on the cross so that we could know him and be with him. God showed himself to us in the midst of our rejection and our blindness out of his great love for us so that we could see him and know him. Paul says in Romans, for God shows his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. A few months ago, I hadn't realized how, 
how, how much I had let the gospel and the reality of who God is become an abstraction to me. Maybe it was living in the pandemic or not spending, not getting to spend a lot of time in the body of Christ, not getting to do corporate worship like this together. But I, I just hadn't realized how much the gospel and the truths of Scripture that I believed and that I lived in were, I wasn't emotionally connected to them. And they'd become kind of concepts or ideas and abstractions that I still believed, but that I wasn't always experiencing the joy and reality of. I don't know if you guys have ever felt that. Maybe some of you are feeling that now. But that's where I was. And then I started to watch this TV show called The Chosen. Maybe some of you have heard of it. And it's about the, it's about the lives of, and the experiences of the disciples of Jesus. And really, they're, they're each of their experiences of, of Christ. And I'm not vouching for this show in terms of the writing or the acting or anything like that. Like, I honestly haven't even paid attention to that. So I'm sure if you wanted to, you could poke holes in it all day long. But I started watching this show, and it came to me at a time where I just, I wasn't seeing my God. I wasn't experiencing that he was real, like tangible experiences of his love. And then I watched this, and they have like some actor playing Jesus, and they have actors playing his disciples. But I just see these, these images and these pictures of people experiencing the up-close, in-person, personal love uh, and grace of Jesus and just the immense love that he has for them. And so I'm alone in my apartment at 11 p.m. on a weeknight watching this show just like crying ugly tears because of how, like, how much I've been missing how great this God is and how much he loves me. Like he loves me. Like that, that is crazy to me. I'm saying, God, do you love me? I want to know you. I want to be with you. I just don't want to pray to you. I don't want to just want to read about you. Like, I want to be with you. I want, to, I want to know you. I want to hug you. It reminded me of the image of God, Jesus Christ, that God has shown himself to us, that he came here, that he's real. Paul says we don't proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus, who is the image of God. He says we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. The world doesn't need more of Rob. The world, no offense, the world doesn't need any more of any of you. The world needs the image of God, Jesus Christ. The, the world in, full of blind people, people blind to the glory of God, needs tangible experiences of God's love expressed through us as the body of Christ, servants for Jesus' sake, continuing what he started. And so the fact that our God has showed himself to a spiritually blind world reveals a unique solution to our predicament. Because by giving us tangible experiences of his love, people who are blind to him and who have rejected him, and, and by working in us uh, to, to be these tangible experiences of his love to the world around us, God has made a way for the blind to see his glory, for people who have rejected him. It, imagine somebody being blind, stumbling around, and in this case, you could say they're blind by their own, their own design, their own fault, their own choice, because we've, in a sense, allowed ourselves to, to be blind and to be ignorant of who God is. And yet still you have God coming close and approaching us and loving us and caring for us. And so it's like this, this, this blind person, they can't see, they can't understand or realize the reality of God, and yet here you have God coming to them in person, in the flesh, and, and interacting and engaging with them in a way that they can experience and they can see. And you don't have to look any further than the Gospels to see Jesus actually literally doing that, healing the blind, engaging with them in a way that, that their, their eyes are able to be open and they're able to see the love and the grace that he has for them. 
And so that's, that's the solution God's given to, to the blindness of the world. And, and that, that's the way that the, that's how he's given us as the church to be laying down its life for a world that is rejecting it. So we don't shy away from the mission God has given us, but rather we as the body of Christ become the tangible experience of God's love to people around us. We continue what Jesus started. And as we lay our lives down in tangible experiences of Jesus' love, some are going to continue in their blindness, but some are going to turn and their eyes are going to be open and they're going to come to know for the first time the love that God has for them. Amen? Paul talks about that uh, in chapter 2 also. A couple weeks ago we talked about the aroma of Christ and how it's aroma from some to some from death to death and to others from life to life. And God's saying that some are going to reject him even as, as clear pictures they get of the gospel. They're going to continue to reject him. But for others, people that he is longing for us to bring the gospel to, that, that they would know him, they're going to turn and experience his love. And so both that combined with the, the greatness of the spiritual need around us, we see that we don't lose heart because our God has shown himself to us. And that's going to bring us to, to reason number three, which is that we don't lose heart because our God makes light shine out of darkness. We don't lose heart because our God creates light to shine out of where there was only darkness. Verse 6. Paul says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Genesis 1, the very first verses in the Bible, reads, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. That's what Paul is showing us. That's the picture Paul is giving us to see God's relationship to the mission that he's given us. That it's not on our strength, it's not on our ability to carry it out, but it's God speaking light into where there was no light, there was only darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. So the point here is that if you are in Christ, that same God looked into you, looked into your heart, into your darkness, and saw all your sin, the things that you're most ashamed of, the things you don't want anyone else to know about you, that you hide from everyone. He looked in your heart, he saw rebellion, he saw rejection of him, he saw the selfishness and the pride and the greed and the hatred that we've all had, And he said, let there be light. And there was light. That we went from blindness to sight, from ignorance to knowledge, not just seeing the evidence of God, but seeing God, knowing him, having a relationship with him, knowing more than anything else that God is real and that he loves us and that he has died for us and saved us. What God has done, no man or woman or angel or demon or any force of nature can undo. What God says will happen, will happen. So Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, and in Arbor and Ypsilanti and Milan and Superior Township and Selene, to India and to Russia and to China and to Turkey and to Mozambique and to all the corners of the earth. God took our dark hearts and he has made us the light of this world. 
It doesn't matter how dark your sin is or how much you've rejected him. This gospel message applies to everyone. It's for everyone. And the darker your heart, the further you seem from him, that just means there's more room for the brighter the dawn when God illuminates the darkness in you to show light, the light of the knowledge of the glory of him, that he would open your eyes to see him. And we don't shy. Our gospel message is not less effective or less powerful in some areas because at the end of the day, it's God creating light where there is none, shining light out of darkness. That is the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's seeing God's glory revealed in the person of Jesus in his humble and selfless love for us and his death and resurrection. So we can know God. Can you appreciate that this morning? Are you able to see that? Are you able to feel that and emotionally experience that? Or has God become this abstraction to you? Has he become just a, a set of concepts and ideas? Because if that's the case, then I think what you need is tangible experiences of the love of Christ. You need to be in the body and doing life with the church so that you can see and know and experience what God is doing in the rest of us and feel that as well for yourself. Because the power of God is at work, illuminating the dark hearts in this blind world. And it's at work in this church, continuing to illuminate our dark hearts to see him more. He's, he's already given us the knowledge of him, but that's not it. We don't know all there is to know about God. But it's a continual growth. We're continuing to learn more and more and more about him. And that's what he's calling us to do, to be filled with his love, to step into that knowledge we have, and to give our lives in love for those who don't know him. Darkness is the absence of light. So when light and darkness collide, light always wins. It just fills where there was none. The love of Christ expressed tangibly is light to the darkness of this world's ignorance of him. <clears throat> so we do not lose heart, because our God makes light shine out of darkness. When we are faced with the darkness in our hearts, and in the world around us, and our own inadequacy before it, we're prone to lose heart, because we're weak, because we're not capable, we're inadequate in the face of his mission. And so our, our natural tendency and response is to want to shy away from that. But as Paul has shown us, we don't lose heart. We don't do that. As he's shown us, our faith isn't founded on our feeble efforts, but in God manifesting his power in the midst of our weakness. So on our darkest days, in our worst, weakest moments, the light of God's glory is shining in us as a beacon of hope, both to us and to the world around us. That his... his the knowledge of him, the love of him, and the gospel of what he's done for us endures and continues to be true when he has claimed us as his own. And in the image of God revealed to us, we find a supernatural resilience to embrace a mission beyond ourselves. We don't retreat into Christian community bubbles. We don't take shortcuts in ministry. We don't reduce the scope of the mission. No, the spiritual need around us is too great to ignore. Our God has shown himself to us and he makes light shine out of darkness. So we do not lose heart. Amen? Amen? The potential application here is so much. <laughs> There's, I just, I'm floored by, by how much this, this passage just means for my life alone. And so as we wrap up, I don't want to take away from what the Spirit is doing in you. I want you to, to be able to sit in the beginning of worship and to be able to wrestle with what God is doing in your life and what he's saying to you through this passage. But one thing I want to call us to, both myself and everyone else who calls Mosaic home, is in light of this text, 
what does it look like for us to be a church that does not lose heart in the face of the mission of God? We can make it our goal this summer to see this community grow. This isn't about numbers or church attendance. The, the application there would be the same if this church was five people or 500 people. Rather, this is about being the presence of Jesus in Washtenaw County, about embracing and, and taking full advantage of and making full use of the knowledge that God has given to us of who he is and stepping into that relationship and letting that light shine, not putting it under a bowl, letting that light shine in the community around us. So what would steps in that direction look like? I've got four. Uh, the first thing I think of is prayer. I'm not saying we're not a praying church, but we can do better. Amen? We can, we can do more. And this isn't a performance thing. This is, this is a coming to God and asking him in the midst of our weakness thing, saying, God, we, want, we don't want to lose heart. We want to embrace this mission, but we need you. We need you to move in us. And so we can try to all pray on our own by ourselves, but I, I know how that goes for me personally. I tend to pray less and less over time as that happens. Prayer meetings, I think, is where that, where that really happens, that wherever two or more are gathered in the name of Christ, he is there, that, that he encourages us to be praying together as the body of Christ, coming together and, and, and seeking him. And so a couple weeks ago, I gave the challenge, and however it's gone, it still stands, that we would just be taking Sunday mornings to spend some time in prayer, Prayer that God would be bringing people into this church and that God would be working and moving in this body to be reaching and bringing the gospel to the people around us. Point number two would be gospel saturation. That we would allow our minds to be filled with and actively work to make our minds filled with and be saturated with the gospel. And so that comes through reading the Bible regularly. That comes through listening to sermons, not just on Sundays. I know that might sound crazy, but on other days throughout the week, so that we're hearing the gospel again and again and again, not just once a week. That we would be reflecting, having, doing journaling, that we'd be having spiritual conversations with other believers, that we'd be sharing the gospel with other people, and, and in doing so, hearing it again ourselves. And all, and all of that, just spending more time with God so that his gospel and his news would be saturating our lives. Because that's, that's, that's how he works in the midst of us, that we can say, man, I just I want to know God more, but I just it's so hard and my mind keeps drifting. If we actively took more of our time to be spending uh, soaking ourselves, soaking our minds in the gospel, we would be seeing him so much more clearly. And that's something that I think we want, right? To be a church that embraces that mission, amen? So what does that look like for you? Gospel saturation. Point number three, community presence. So I recognize we're all still on a spectrum with covid Right? And, and we're in different places of more, more and more people are getting vaccinated, but you know, a lot of us have kids, and so how do, how do we navigate all that? But wherever you are, there's always a way for you to be meeting more people. There's always a way for you to be engaging in the community in which you live. And so my challenge is that you would, you would find that, find that way, whatever that looks like for you, that you would take steps to do that within, within whatever your, your COVID kind of restrictions are. If, if you're closest friends or closest family live next door to you, you would, you'd make a pod with them. You'd figure out how to, how to make it work. So how does that work? What does it look like for us to, to really engage with and be in this community? What are the built-in rhythms in your life in which you're meeting new people? Just by playing soccer last week on campus, I met like 15 new guys. I was like, wow, this is crazy. I forgot how colleges work. <laughs> But yeah, so, and I'm just praying that God would make something of those, that I'd see those guys again, that I'd be, relationships would be forming, that I would have opportunities to be sharing the gospel with people. What are the built-in rhythms in your life where you're meeting new people? 
We want to be letting our light shine in this community. And then finally, um, this is maybe a little arbitrary, but the fourth one is being able to organize events. That one of the one of the first things that I think about as I'm meeting people is how how can I invite them to church? And if they're not interested in coming to church, can I? Is there other ways that I can invite them into the life of the body of Christ? And so the the potential of this church to organize events and organize things that we can be bringing people to and be meeting people at, the potential of this church to do that far exceeds the bandwidth of the leadership. That I've, I've been a part of this church for over seven years, and I've been to so many birthday parties and game nights and all sorts of other celebrations uh, and missional community groups and whatever it is that have been just hosted by lay people in the church who want to see people come and want to see lost people come so that they can come and know God. And that's something that we can start doing again as, as, as we're getting vaccinated, as a lot of you are uh, yeah, moving to a place where you can start to host things again, where you can start to plan and organize things again, if it needs to be outside or whatever it is, that we would be doing that as a church and that we would have a vibrant body, a vibrant church life that people can come and see and that if a new visitor shows up on a Sunday morning, that there's something going on almost every day that they could come to to just meet with and engage with the community. So to close, I know we're all in different seasons. And for some, things are really hard right now. And so I'm not asking everyone to be the same thing. I'm not asking everyone to, to hit every single box of all of these sort of things. Uh, we, we do all want to be praying and being gospel-saturated and finding a way to engage our community and, and all of that, but it's not going to look the same for everybody. What I am asking is that we as a church would all be taking a step in that direction so that as, as a church, as a body, we would be owning the mission that God has given us. I know for many it's been a while, but I am praying to God that we haven't forgotten what it is to be the body of Christ to the community around us. Let's do that this summer. Oh, that God would continue to shine light out of darkness, both in this church and the community around us. Amen? Let's pray. God, you know our hearts. You know our weakness. You know our brokenness. You know how fragile our desire to follow you can be. Lord, I pray that this would be a church that spurs each other on to know you more, that we would just come together and, and be the body of Christ to know you more, to, to embrace and to see you. Lord, I pray that no one hearing this message would think that the application here is, is anything for them to go out and do on their own. God, I pray instead that we would be a church that leans into you by your strength and by your power, that we would be quick to run to you in, in our weakness and our inadequacy. Lord, I pray that light would shine out of darkness. Let light shine out of darkness in this community. Let the darkest places in this area, Lord, be known for knowing you. I pray that we could be the light in this community, in in that darkness, and that we would see your light spread. We would see your light spread to those who seem to be furthest from you, so that in the darkest darkness, we could see the brightest dawn. In Jesus' name.